27, Numbers 27. We're going to look at the promotion of Joshua and the death of Moses. And uh, I want to close the book on Moses and just, I don't know, I always felt like as a kid, I guess, when we talk about the end uh, of Moses, Moses' death, where you come to a almost a negative view of Moses because you know, he doesn't get into the promised land and that kind of ends negatively, right? You kind of look at it and go, well, because of his sin, he gets punished and he's not allowed to go into the promised land. The way that God closes the book on Moses uh, in the Old Testament here is incredibly positive. Um, and I don't know, I guess as I read through these stories again, the things that are brought up to me, and maybe it's different just as an adult as in general, but um, it's just, I don't know, I, I saw some things that were really intriguing to me throughout this story. Uh, look in Numbers 27, starting in verse 15. Uh, let's see here, is that where I want to be? Yes. Well, then we'll come back to, to something in a moment. Uh, and Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the, of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, and that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man of, in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to look at uh, some things about Moses, brief things about the uh, coronation, uh, I don't know, that's probably not the right word, of Joshua, and, uh, and then some more things about Moses in the end as well. Lord, thank you for this, uh, this passage. Thank you for the example of Moses and the lessons that we are taught here about him and about Joshua. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just help us today to see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, receive what you want us to receive, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's look, first of all, we're going to actually go up a few verses, but Moses' time is coming to an end. Verse number 12, uh, the Lord said unto Moses, get thee up into this mount, uh, Abiram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, and the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. Uh, that is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So we see Moses' time is coming to an end. And the Lord here tells him to get up to the mountain and, uh, and put his eyes on the promised land. You get to see the promised land. And, uh, and, and then he says, though, he brings back up the fact that uh, you're not going in. Why? Verse 14, you rebelled against my commandment uh, in the desert. And uh, we look at it, we see that Moses, I always, no matter what age I've been, I always felt bad for Moses at this point, when Moses is going to go up to the mountain and look on the promised land and see what God was going to give to the people. And, and, uh, and I always just felt bad, right? The, the poor guy's missing out. Uh, after everything he went through, he's going to miss out. And I still do feel bad for him, honestly. But that being said, I also see here that God's blessing to Moses um, that he does get to see. He gets to actually put his eyes on 
what is to come. And I don't know how great the view was. I'm assuming it was pretty good. Uh, where he could look over and see the land that the people were going to go conquer, the land that the people were given by God uh, here. But he reminds him and reminds us the reason why he was not going in to the promised land in verse 14. Um, it says that uh, you've rebelled against my commandment in the desert, in the strife of the congregation, uh, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. And remember, we looked at this when we talked about the water coming from the rock, but the, the, the purpose of the water coming from the rock was to sanctify God, to set God apart, for the people to see uh, and honor and glorify God. And in Moses' action, it took away from that. Uh, and, and that's where the ultimate sin came from. It wasn't, I mean, it was the disobedience and it was the, the, the hitting instead of the speaking and all that, that goes into it. But ultimately it was, it did not accomplish God's purpose the way God intended for it to because Moses didn't do what God told him to do. And that brings me back to the thing in our lives where sometimes, whoa, uh, where sometimes we get to the point where we are doing things um, but we're doing them our way. We're doing good things, or we're doing things that, uh, that only succeed through God's help, uh, but we're taking the, the eyes off of God and onto ourselves. And that's, again, a, such a dangerous place to be in where we're doing things in our own strength, in our own power, in our own way, and not doing it fully the way that God intended for it to be done. And there was a severe consequence for that for Moses. But I want us to see... That Moses, even in this, so God says to Moses, you're going to go up to the mountain, you're going to see the land, and then you're going to die like Aaron did. You're going to be gathered amongst the people like Aaron did. What was Moses' first response that we read at least to God with this? It was continued care for his people. And he immediately turns back to God and he says to God, you need to give them someone to lead them. They need someone to lead them. God knows this. God already had this planned out, of course. Uh, but that, I, I find that intriguing. Moses coming to the end of his life, where again he's reminded, you're not going into the promised land. Moses' response was, God, they, they need a leader. And he says there in verse 17, at the end of the, the verse, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep with, uh, which have no shepherd. The terminology we're going to learn here all throughout Scripture the importance of the sheep having a shepherd. Now, God is our ultimate shepherd, is he not? But God teaches and places within a church a, an under-shepherd, uh, someone to lead. And that is God's system. That's God's way he set it up from the get-go. He gave it, Moses to the people to be a shepherd, to, to guide them. And, and Moses understood the importance of that leadership. And now he says, God, make sure that they're not just sheep wandering about. They need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them. Why would Moses care? He's getting ready to die. He's, his time is done. Yet he still cared for the people. And I'm just, I'm continually amazed by Moses' concern for the people. I mean, these people gave Moses very little reason uh, to care about them. <laughs> is, and I've never seen it this way, and I should have. But I've never seen the picture of Christ in Moses. The way that Moses cared for the people, uh, the way that Christ cares for his people. Uh, we see it in, in, other, in other stories in Scripture. And we see Joshua as a picture. I've always heard Joshua as a picture of Christ. Uh, we see it with David some. We see it with, with different, different people in Scripture. But Moses' illustration to us of, of someone who leads. And, and I think a picture of Christ at the same time. Even when everyone was against him, he still loved them. 
He still was concerned. He still cared. Uh, and that, that truly is inspirational, I think, uh, and encouraging to see Moses' eyes on the people. That brings us then to Joshua. And we're going to look at Joshua more in the coming weeks. But uh, in verse 18, well, let me ask you this. Why Joshua? I'll let you, I'll let you answer. Why Joshua? Why, why was Joshua the, the next guy? Anybody know? What you got? All right. Anybody else have an idea? He was good. A good report? Yes. Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, someone read the Bible. Okay. Easy now, Cindy. No, that's it. That's it. You know, it's was he was he good? He was good. Was he a military leader? He was. Uh, he was he was successful in his military career up to this point. Uh, what did he have? A, did he give a good report? Yes. Did he have a good report? Yes. You look and Joshua wasn't a pastor, but you look at one of the things about the qualifications of a pastor is being a good report. And Joshua had a good reputation. The people, I believe, uh, looked at Joshua as generally good. That was his characteristics. Uh, of him, But the Bible says in verse 18, The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. The laying of hands is oftentimes a symbol of a passing on um, of, of the Spirit uh, in leadership a lot of times. We lay on hands uh, in times of great need when we're uh, praying for someone to be healed. Uh, there can be the laying of hands. There's, there's uh, an ordination. When you're or- ordaining a minister, you lay hands. Uh, th- it's, it's kind of a symbolic picture of, of a passing on, right? But Moses did not pass the Spirit on to Joshua. Joshua was already a man in whom the Spirit dwelt. And that shows you who Joshua was. Now, again, we always look at it and we know, we know Joshua was one of the two good spies. He's the one that gave a good report with Caleb. And Caleb's rewarded for that as well, and that's coming in, in the coming weeks. But uh, Joshua was clearly someone who, who was uh, uh, one of the right-hand men of, of Moses. He was consistently there with Moses. We see him up on the mountain. We see him different places. Um, Joshua was a good person. He was a qualified leader. He was a, a, a one who was uh, met the qualifications. But ultimately, the reason why it was Joshua, and let me say this without saying it the wrong way, but uh, and, uh, him instead of Caleb. Was Caleb a good person? Yes. Was Caleb a man who followed God? Yes. All those sorts of things. And I'm not saying Caleb didn't have the spirit, but what I'm saying is Joshua did. Uh, we know without a doubt he did. And so we see here that, that God says to Moses, Joshua's the guy that I'm picking. Um, he says, take Joshua, a man in whom the spirit, uh, whom is the spirit. God was already working in Joshua's life. God was preparing Joshua for what was ahead. And Joshua was being obedient to God to do what God wanted him to do. And so he tells, uh, um, uh, oh, I was going to look at Deuteronomy. We'll come back to this in a second. But Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Uh, or, uh, yes, and so it's, it's, it's reiterated there in, in Deuteronomy, and we'll look at more of that passage in just a moment. Uh, but we see he's a man in whom the Spirit is, uh, which is a wonderful uh, reputation, a wonderful testimony 
there of why Joshua. And again, I don't, I don't, didn't say that to bash Caleb. Caleb may have been a man whom the Spirit was also, um, but we know clearly Joshua was. Now, I've always actually wondered that why Joshua over Caleb. Caleb seems to be uh, uh, possibly older than Joshua. Um, Caleb was the first one to speak up with the spies. Um, Caleb was obviously bold in his faith of God, right? He's the one that says, I want that mountain. Uh, Caleb, Caleb was a very bold and, uh, and, and I believe qualified leader as well overall. But God chose Joshua. And it seems as though Joshua uh, uh, not only had the ear of the Lord, but had an ear for the Lord. Uh, would listen to God and do what God wanted him to do. Um, and, and we'll see that uh, exemplified. We'll see him still be a human, uh, but we we'll see that exemplified in the coming weeks as well. Uh, look at the importance, though, of the ceremony that was going to take place, verses 18 through 21. Uh, so he's supposed to lay his hands on him in verse 18. Verse 19, he's going to go set him before Eleazar the priest, before all the congregation. The congregation is going to see this, and then he's going to give a charge uh, to Joshua in front of the people. Verse 20, Thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Um, and so I studied this out a little bit because I was curious. At first when it says, put some of thine honor, I thought, oh my goodness, Joshua was only half half of the man Moses was. No, it's not what it means. Um, Moses had the honor as the, author, the authoritative person. And before Moses died, God asked him to put some of his authority into Joshua so that the people could follow Moses and Joshua for a short time before Moses would pass away. So that way it wasn't Moses is the boss, Moses is dead, okay, now Joshua's the boss. It was give some of your honor to Joshua, let him lead some now, and so they can learn to obey Joshua and follow Joshua. And then when you pass away, he gets the rest of the honor, the full authority uh, so to say. And I started thinking about this. I thought, my goodness, you know, ministries today, and, and many of them are doing a great job at this. They're, they've gotten better, I think, where as a pastor is aging, they're starting to bring guys in uh, about two years before the pastor retires, and the church still votes on them and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is, is the pastor still the pastor, but now we have the next pastor in-house, in and he's seeing what the church does, seeing how the church does it, know what the pastor is, all that kind of stuff. And, and is, is partly authoritative at the same time. And then when that pastor resigns, the church already knows the next pastor. It's not this, this point of well, what are we going to do, who's our next pastor, all that kind of stuff. I started thinking about through that, and I just think this is a great example of the importance of having the next guy ready. Um, it's not, just not throwing new people into it if you can avoid it, but having the next person ready, and that's a, you know, whatever. I'm going to retire in about three years, and then we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get somebody else in. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Um, but he gets the priest involved. He, he passes on some of the honor. Verse 21, he shall stand before Eliezer, the other priest, who shall ask uh, counsel for him uh, after the judgment of Urim. Uh, before the Lord, at his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, and both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And so we see this, uh, it's a ceremony. It's a, it's a time for the people to understand there is going to be a passing on of authority from Moses to Joshua. The people had rebelled against Moses and rebelled against God for years and years and years, and we know that the generation is dying off and the next generation is getting ready to cross into the promised land. It was important for them to understand that there is a, a clear leader coming in after Moses. Joshua was going to be that guy. And so they involved, of course, the priests, and the congregation was there to watch. Everything happened for a purpose so that when Moses passed away, there was not this well, are we sure Joshua was the leader? Is that the guy that we really want? You know, that kind of thing. This is clear cut. 
Joshua is the guy that you're supposed to follow. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 34, and we'll see the death of Moses here. Uh, starting in verse number 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. This is where I get the idea that there's a good view. <laughs> all right. That tells us there is. And all of Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea. And the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, unto Zor. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. We see Moses here getting to see um, from what the Bible says here, pretty much everything. So again, a wonderful view of the land where he can look out and see all that God has done. And God is telling Moses, I'm fulfilling my promise, right? This is the land that I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Uh, this is it right here. This is, it's coming to fruition. I am fulfilling the covenant and the promise that I've made. And, uh, and I look at Moses and, and I, I look at Moses' life and the struggles and the trials and the hardships and the lack of faith, but then the full faith and the, the obedience and the disobedience and uh, the struggles as a leader with people who didn't want to follow and uh, all the things that Moses went through. And I started to think through what, what uh, if, if Moses were to consider, what was my life? And Moses would take time to look back and consider all the things that he'd done. How would Moses view Moses in the eyes of God? How would he look back and say, um, would, did, did he think when he was at this point that, and I know this wasn't in Scripture yet, but where God would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Did he finish his life uh, blessed? Did he finish his life uh, satisfied? Was he able to stand there and, and, and take a moment to think through all the things that God had done for him and all the things that he'd gotten to see? And did he do it with a smile on his face? Or did he do it with his head hung as he looked over into the promised land thinking about the sin that kept him out of there? I think it's the other way. I think, it's, I think it was joy. I think it was fulfillment. And I, I continue to read. I want you to see verse 10. Chapter 34, Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. I'll tell you what, I started thinking about that verse, and I thought, my goodness. We read about all these people in Scripture, uh, and the, the rest of the Old Testament, we read about prophet after prophet after prophet, and amazing things that God did in those prophets' lives. None arose like Moses, and why? Whom the Lord knew face to face. I began to think, you know, man, Moses, man, he missed out on the promised land and he didn't get to, to march across the Jordan River. He didn't get to march around Jericho. Uh, he didn't get to, uh, to see the great fall of that great city. And he didn't get to experience the victories that were going to come in the promised land. He knew the Lord face to face. He, you remember at the burning bush, he stood there and talked with God. On the mountain, as God thundered, he was there. I don't believe Moses ended his life in regret. 
I think if Moses could do it over, he would have spoken to the rock versus hit the rock. He would have listened to God. He would have obeyed God. But I don't think Moses ended his life with regret. As a matter of fact, I believe Moses, standing at the top of that mountain before the Lord took him, I believe Moses uh, understood the gravity of his relationship with God. And it got even better, by the way, when, when his life on earth was done. But he was one of few. In the Old Testament, one of very few to stand face to face with God. And I look at that and I think, of all these years that I felt bad for Moses, now I'm jealous. Now I hate Moses. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm jealous. I look at this and I go, my goodness. Not only did Moses get to experience all these things, he had God himself say, none ever arose like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. It shows you the um, presence of God in Moses' life. And then I think about it even deeper and I begin to go, okay, what about the presence of God in my life? Now I'm not going to know God until I get to heaven the way that Moses knew God. But I look through all the things you think, man, I missed out on this. Man, I missed out on that. Man, I wish I could have done that. I wish I could do this. All these sorts of things. When God looks at us and he measures our life on this earth, it's measured by our relationship with God. God doesn't care if Vince has a fancy title. God doesn't care if Vince has a fancy house. God doesn't care if Vince is well-known or not known at all. All God cares about is my relationship with him. And when God looked at Moses... His final words about Moses were very simple. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He goes on in verse 11, And all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, uh, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his lands and all, the mighty, the, all that mighty hand and, and all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. It, always, it just came back to very simply Moses' relationship with God. And I finally stopped feeling bad for Moses for the first time in my life. Because as a kid, I was always told, Moses sinned. He didn't get to go to the promised land. Now God let him see it, but he didn't get to walk in it. Don't sin, or you won't get to go to the promised land. God looks down at Moses. I mean, let's think about it for a second. God looks down at all of us and goes, well, they've all sinned. <laughs> Every single one of them, there's none righteous, no, not one. They're all sinners. They all fall short of the glory of God. So what does God look at? Does God look at Moses and, and, and define Moses as the guy who sinned and didn't get to go to the promised land? No, he, he defined Moses as the guy who no one arose like Moses because the Lord knew him face to face. And I tell you what, it changes my view of, of Moses's, especially the end of Moses's life. Um, Moses was special. Uh, Moses was uh, a peculiar person. Moses was sanctified and set apart. And Moses was used by God in a way that no one else uh, was. Sure, there were similarities to other people. Right, Joshua, you can look at similarities to Joshua and Moses. But Joshua wasn't like Moses. Joshua has an encounter we'll look at 
probably next week, uh, an encounter at, at Jericho with the angel of the Lord. And it's an incredible encounter, something I've never experienced. And it's similar to some of the things Moses experienced, but it's not the same. Other prophets, I mean, you think of the prophet on the mountain and the fire comes down and, and whoosh, there goes the sacrifices and the altars and the water and all that kind of stuff. And that's phenomenal. That's, that's something I've never seen. Moses saw more. Moses was identified by his relationship with God. That's how we should identify ourselves. Right? We look at, we identify ourselves by our successes and our failures. Um, the reality is, is none of that matters compared to our relationship with God. And so as we look through the end of Moses' life and the beginning of Joshua's role as leader of the people, let us remember that our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in our relationship with Christ. And nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And at the end of the day, God said, ain't nobody like Moses. He says, there's no other prophet. I'm telling you, man, we could, I'm not going to do it. We can list all the prophets of the Old Testament right now. And we can go through all the neat things that they did and saw. And none of them were like Moses. Why? Because the Lord knew Moses face to face. Now, that's a pretty deep statement. Pretty powerful statement. So remember, your successes or failures uh, in the grand scheme of things don't matter. I understand what I mean by that. What matters is your relationship with God. How does God view you? How will God view you? And if you're like me, well, stop feeling bad for Moses. He, he was okay. Uh, God, God, God treated him pretty decent. Uh, so uh, there's the end of Moses. Next week we'll start getting into, uh, let's see here, yeah, next week we will get into Joshua. Uh, then we'll take a week off with the missionaries here, and then we'll get back into it. Uh, and we'll look through the, the marching through of the promised land. Uh, we've got a few things to look at. I don't know. We probably won't get to Jericho next week, um, depending on what we choose to cover. But we've got crossing of Jordan and the, uh, uh, the, the um, monument, not monument. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyways, the stacking of rocks um, that they're going to do over there and everything too. So uh, a lot of fun things ahead here as the children of Israel finally get into the promised land uh, and there. But this week, just remember, where's your identity? Um, and uh, focus on your relationship with God over your successes and failures in this world. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Moses. We do see his failures, uh, but Lord, at the end of it all, we see your love for him, and may we focus on that in our lives as well, your love for us. Uh, we love you because you loved us first, and so Lord, I pray that we'd focus on that and our identity in you. Um, Lord, that we can live a life that is full, that is satisfied, uh, Lord, that is cared for, uh, that ultimately we can live a life that when we, our time on this earth is done, we can hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. Uh, so, Lord, help us as we uh, continue to study your word. Help us to learn and be encouraged by it. Uh, keep us safe this week. Protect us. Provide for us. Uh, Lord, give us opportunity with the gospel. May we be bold to take it. And, uh, Lord, we look forward to praising you for all that you do for us. Uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus.